Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. As more and more people practice yoga, sit for meditation, take part in ceremony, and sync their lives to moon cycles, our expectations change regarding how we relate to each other, hold space for the healing of each other's emotional wounds. The softer we get, the stronger we get, and the better we get at supporting true transformation. When enough of us change, the next thing you know is that society has changed with us. What started as a personal journey becomes a collective adventure. The opportunities are huge. The challenges are real. You're just in time for the evolution. Welcome to The Evolver, where each week I talk with inspiring pioneers of the new consciousness culture. If you like what we're doing here, please remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Acast, or on the podcast app of your choice. Share this episode with friends at The Sound Meditation. Post about it on social media and leave a rating on iTunes. Our email address is theevolver at evolver.net for feedback. And you can follow us on Instagram at The Evolver Podcast and on Facebook at Evolver Social Movement. Now, let's get started. Welcome to The Evolver, sponsored by The Alchemist Kitchen, hosted by Ken Jordan. What could be more dysfunctional than Washington, D.C.? It's not simply that the government is rife with criminality and hypocrisy. Governments have always been like that. But since the days of the Clinton impeachment, over 20 years now, the opposing camps in D.C. view each other from behind the barricades as irreconcilable enemies. The battle is fueled by entrenched interests and masses of corporate money. And as time passes, it's only gotten worse reaching the jaw-dropping proportions of the Trump era, which is so staggering in its comic book absurdity that it almost defies mental absorption. Is this really how a democracy is supposed to run the world's largest empire? But here we are, with you and me doing our daily meditation practice, pursuing our consciousness modalities, confronting our shadow, committing to the hard work of personal growth, and putting ourselves in service. This way of being in the world can feel completely divorced from the quote-unquote real world and how it operates. The power centers, business, money, real estate, the drivers of our economy and politics. Because once you get to the consciousness vantage point, everything looks different. For instance, when you see the seething anger in someone else, you recognize that it's their pain speaking, their fear. You see things from their vantage point sympathize with their hurt. You become prone to empathy, discover the strength of being vulnerable, and you learn patience. You have to, because not everyone is noticing all the things you notice, and you understand why. Of course, the real world, quote-unquote, is actively dismissive of anything that smacks of woo, which they equate with weakness though in fact vulnerability requires far more strength and courage 
than tough guy tactics do. So most of us meditators stick to our own circles, figuring that we're some small fringe minority and that there's not enough of us to make a difference where the real levers of power are being pulled. But what if that was no longer true? What if there were actually tens of millions of us? We just don't realize it yet. What if we started to show up together and say, it's time to do things differently, and model through our behavior what that really means? There's a consciousness movement underway. It has touched an awful lot of people. But are there enough of us to repair the dysfunction in Washington? Honestly, that possibility had not occurred to me until I was having the conversation you're about to hear with Congressman Tim Ryan. Representative Ryan follows a daily mindfulness practice, and he's an outspoken advocate for promoting mindfulness as a way to deal with the variety of complex problems facing the country. His book about meditation, called Healing America, is now in its second edition, and he's also the author of The Real Food Revolution, a book about the joys, the health benefits, and the environmental advantages of growing and eating real food. Tim was first elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in 2002 and is currently serving his ninth term representing Ohio's 13th Congressional District. It's hard for me to imagine how a longtime D.C. politician could reconcile his or her own embrace of consciousness practices with the cruel backroom hardball that is standard practice at the top of our government and business systems. You likely feel the same. But please, listen to this show with an open mind. Tim talks about what would happen if the consciousness community got involved in politics. And I think he's on to something. This conversation really got me to consider possibilities that I thought were, at best, a few years out. But things are moving quick. People are waking up. The current state of the world is not sustainable. Could America suddenly be engulfed by a wave of sanity? If it was, would you get involved? Everyone seems to be talking about CBD these days, that is, cannabidiol, the non-psychoactive component of cannabis. The buzz is that CBD doesn't make you high, like THC does. But for conditions such as stress and anxiety, health professionals are increasingly recommending it as an alternative to pharmaceuticals. And scientific research is showing that CBD is highly anti-inflammatory, so it can help with pain relief. What does the scientific research say about CBD? Research centers in the United States and elsewhere are studying the effects of CBD on a variety of ailments. Scientists refer to CBD as a promiscuous compound because it offers therapeutic benefits in many different ways while tapping into how we function physiologically and biologically on a deep level. Extensive preclinical research and some clinical studies have shown that CBD has strong antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, antidepressant, antipsychotic, and neuroprotective qualities. What's the best way to take CBD? CBD-rich cannabis oil products can be taken sublingually, orally, as edibles, lozenges, beverages, tinctures, and gel caps, or applied topically. Concentrated cannabis oil extracts can also be heated and inhaled with a vape pen. Inhalation is good for treating acute symptoms that require immediate attention. The effects can be felt within a minute or two and typically last for a couple of hours. 
the effects of orally administered CBD-rich cannabis oil can last for four hours or more. But the onset of effects is much slower, like 30 to 90 minutes, than inhalation. Evolver is the proud papa of the Alchemist Kitchen, a botanical dispensary located in the Bowery District of New York, where you can find the finest quality CBD products available without THC. We also make our own premium CBD under the Plant Alchemy label. Our producer Jose's mom uses it for stress, anxiety, and high blood pressure. Our plants are grown in both field and greenhouse environments, cultivated using living soil organic principles, leveraging strictly organic inputs, and in full compliance with the controls defined by the Colorado Department of Agriculture. Our plants are some of the highest CBD cannabis varieties currently known. You can find out more about CBD by visiting the Alchemist Kitchen website at thealchemistskitchen.com. There's an S in there. And searching for CBD. There are articles on the blog, an FAQ, and a selection of vetted products. Or stop by our spot at 21 East 1st Street in Manhattan, between Bowery and 2nd Avenue, and talk to one of our staff herbalists. At the shop, tell them you listen to the Evolver podcast and receive a 10% discount on any product on the shelves. It seems like when you're inside of that game, you got to choose a team. But if you can step away from that game, you start to understand that there's only one team, right? It's about getting the distance from that that gives us the opportunity to start to look what the real solutions might actually be. And one of the things I really admire about your work and the things that you've been doing is how you look to mindfulness. You look to how we can you know, eat a better diet that's more in sync with the cycles of the planet and the needs of the soil. You're connecting to a healthier way of being in connection to what it is to be alive on this planet. And you don't get a sense, I don't get a sense, there's a lot of receptivity to that approach in the halls of Congress or inside the White House or within the judicial system even that the institutions we have aren't necessarily so friendly to that kind of approach. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's uh, a lot of it has to do with the political environment, media, the way the districts are drawn, you know, a million a million different things and I and I think we focus so much on these issues that divide us instead of focusing on the things that unite us. And so you just get further division. People dig in further. Everything becomes a political battle. And we continue to fall behind as a country. And I think that's that can be the unifying message is that we are falling behind because of this. You know, or whether it's economic security, retirement security, education, competition with, you know, other countries or competition with China climate change, food system, you know, carbon in the soil. I mean, pick the issue. We are not moving on these things because we're so divided. If you look at what Russia's doing in, on social media, they will find cultural rifts and they will throw gasoline on them. You know, whether it's kneeling uh, NFL football players or a police shooting or whatever, pick, pick it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They've got this deep, you know, old KGB based counterintelligence type operation 
to yeah. feed social media with memes that are going to drive people to at each other's throats, basically. I'm, I'm hoping that the more Americans realize that, the more they're going to say, and, and I, I think leaders need to challenge them that, look, the most patriotic thing you can do is listen to each other, is be kind to each other, is have civil discourse as opposed to this craziness that's going on right now. And that's that's the best thing we can do. I, I totally agree. But at the same time, you see all of these institutional designs that have over the years become more and more entrenched that are driving people at each other because they're they're set up to kind of one special interest pushing against another. There's this unawareness on the part of certain parts of the country. I'm calling from New York City, so I'm you know I'm raising my hand like we're one, number one of what's going on in other in 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 different kinds of neighborhoods where people are just experiencing a very different kind of economy. There's this disconnect in communication across regions and across experiences. It creates a a real challenge to find that commonality when you have so little opportunities for sharing, deep sharing. It all comes back to connection. It comes back to feeling like you belong in in this country and that you matter. You know, we we've got to get about the business of reconnecting the country. And if we don't do that, I don't care what your 10 point plan is. I don't care what, you know, your detailed, you know, strategy is for education or China or anything else. If, if we're not together, if we're not connected to each other, none of that's going to mean a hill of beans. How do you, in the position that you're in, hold that openness for that connection in your own life? A lot of work. You got to really try your best to keep yourself grounded and not be overly judgmental and try to work hard to find issues that and topics that we can agree on. And, and you know, I I actually think there are ways forward here, but we, we need a new power. We need new politics. We need you know, new ways of doing things. And I think there are a lot of people out in the country who, who want to try to do it differently. I think there's a tremendous amount of interest in seeing things differently and acting in a different way. There's no question about that. Because when you get people in a room together and they're making eye-to-eye contact and they're actually having conversations, you start to realize, like, you know, the guy you think of as a flamethrower, you know, is in fact, you know, the guy who lives down the hall and your kids are going to the same school or, you know, metaphorically speaking, there's all of these connections. There's reality intercedes and kind of, you know, makes it possible for you to see the humanity in the other, in the other person. Yeah. You take that principle and you take it to the next level and you say, okay, uh, how, how, how does that affect the way we deal with the veterans administration? How does, what does that mean for what we teach in our schools? And I would say, you know, that's why we need to have social and emotional learning in every single school. That means, you know, how come you're, you know, are we connected to the earth? Are we connected to nature? Are we connected to our land? What's the deal with industrial farming versus regenerative agriculture? That's, that's more harmonious uh, in its interplay between the farmer and the earth and the animals and everything else. 
that's a different, that's, that's about connection. Yeah. But there's Uh, so many established economic forces that are not interested in say regenerative agriculture, regenerative economics. In fact, they resisted deeply, right? Well, I will, you- say, I will say there are millions of people in this country that a mil- millions of moms, you know, millions of, of people who are into the food movement, into the mindfulness movement, into the yoga movement, into the certain diets, whether it's vegan, vegetarian, paleo, keto, you know, they're into the health and they're into food and they recognize what's happening now with highly processed food and what it's doing to our country. If you're in the mind body medicine, or if you're in the public health, those are tens and tens and tens of millions of people in the United States. If those people get active, if they're activated and they participate in the political process, those big old hierarchical institutions are screwed (laughs) <laughs> that's it, it, the problem is we're not we we've got to engage these groups in order to make a big difference and right now a lot of people that are involved in those movements are not engaged in the political process at all exactly exactly and and in fact our organization evolver which is the host of this podcast has been talking to that group for quite a while we have three and a half million likes on facebook we're you know, doing online learning of different kinds. We're doing online publishing. One of the challenges for us has been that there are no lists the way you've got lists for other kinds of constituencies. That the folks who are affiliating with that kind of worldview tend not to want to be joining things. (laughs) That's often they find themselves in a situation where they're being, you know, they're alienated from all of these, you know, so powerful structures in the society that lead them to eat the bad food and to be all hyped up on social media, et cetera, et cetera. And so when they begin to say meditate or they begin to have powerful yoga experiences or they begin to, you know, eat a, a healthier, non-processed food, non-GMO, non-glyphosate based diet, they're falling out of those traditional sort of systems and infrastructures and then they don't want to necessarily give their name or email out so easily. You know, they're not ready to affiliate. And so turning those folks, and I think there are a lot of them, I agree with you, there's tens of millions of people out there who are in that world. Getting those folks to join something is a job. That's the job. That's the work. Well, and they need, I mean, the part of it is convincing them that, look, this, this is about issues. This isn't about party. This is about being smart, pragmatic, visionary, forward thinking, however you want to say it. But it's also about a lot of people who are in these fields to say, I'm going to take a chance. You know, I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable here. It's easy to say, oh, that's politics. And I tease the yogis all the time that I that I'm that I'm with. It's like you can't be on your mat, right, or on your meditation cushion and say, "Ah, I want to be one with the world. I want to be one with the universe except for politics. Like, you can't do that. It doesn't, and you're not one with everything or you're not connected to everything. And politics is, needs to be off the mat, off the cushion. If you're interested in food and that's your, that's your thing, your thing is healthy food and how, how stupid the current system is that we subsidize industrial farming and 
diabetes is going to sink the healthcare system and there's food deserts and, and, and all of this. And you think that's just really stupid way to do things and you don't vote or you're not involved in the political process, then you've given up and you've given up on the 51% of public school kids who live in poverty and don't get adequate food. So they're never going to be able to learn. You've given up on our ability to to say, hey, if we do this right, we can get all of these kids on the field playing for the United States in this global competition. I mean, who who better to be in the in the political debate at this point than someone who has these contemplative practices, who you know has has a way of staying centered, has a has a diet that keeps them focused and, and engaged. That's exactly who we need in the process. <laughs> and, and they're the very ones setting the whole thing out. I love hearing you say this, but let me just share a little story and then you tell me how to address it, okay? 10 years ago, a little bit over 10 years ago, I was a dot-com guru type, you know, giving keynote speeches at technology conferences. And at a certain point around 2007, I got hired by the Democratic leadership in Congress, including Nancy Pelosi's office, to create a communication system for the Democrats in the House. And using what was then known as an intranet, if you remember intranets, they were kind of, nobody says that anymore, but that was like a password protected website that would allow people to communicate. Uh, And so I spent two months interviewing up and down the halls of the Capitol and all of the the office buildings, people at every level inside of the uh, Democratic uh, Party, you know, infrastructure. And uh, I learned a lot about why communication was not happening on, say, the creation of a bill and the the bill going through Congress. So the idea was essentially from the moment a bill is proposed, you could watch it in a transparent way all the way through the vote and open that process up. You know, we built a prototype based on what we learned about the best way to, to share that information. But what was absolutely apparent after these two months of interviews that I did, was that they didn't want to communicate. I'm not talking about you personally or your staff, but throughout the system, there were so many reasons why folks were not encouraged to communicate, that in fact there were impediments to communication at every level that made it much easier for folks to just sort of stick with their traditional way of managing their crazy day-to-day operation, because you've just got a lot of people who are doing their jobs as best they can in a very fast-paced and difficult environment. And there are lots of money and lots of forces that are kind of making it hard for them to do what they knew was a better thing to do in terms of opening up transparency and, and, and changing the way that, that things would operate. I came out of that experience and decided for myself that rather than staying in the political arena and jumping on the Obama campaign bandwagon and working on that, which many people I knew then did, and I was very happy when Obama won and glad that he did, but I felt that it was not the right thing for me to do, that what I needed to do was to help develop a platform for the people you're talking about who are having a connection to this you know, different way of being, which involves meditation and yoga and you know, connection to spirit so that they can connect to each other and form a network and a presence outside of that existing power structure because the system just seems so intransigent 
that you couldn't get it to move. You know, so I spent 10 years doing this and here I am. If there were a way to activate those folks to engage politically in a way that where they felt they were making a difference, I think they'd show up. But I don't think most of the people who we're talking about feel that a vote for a Democrat or a Republican once every two or four years is ultimately going to move the needle enough on the issues that you're talking about. I think that's the concern. I mean, I, I, this is something that I'm doing and trying to do and I'm doing uh, is to give people a big vision for the country that is grounded in these fundamental shifts that need to happen around around food and whether it's you know paying farmers to move it over to regenerative agriculture and no-till farming and all of that to make sure that the, you help the farmers through that transition or making sure that uh, you know, we got salad bars in schools or school gardens, or we have a robust urban agriculture program in the United States. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm trying to offer, you know, social and emotional learning in the schools, pushing all kinds of, you know, uh, technologies that, that we can uh, to try to dominate in the 21st century to get the economy going. I mean, these are all things we're, we're doing a comprehensive study of the entire health and food systems and working with uh, the Tufts University and Dr. Mark Hyman. And we've, we've got a, a, a huge study do, uh, by the Government Accountability Office to do that, so on and on. But I'm, I'm work, working with veterans, uh, with alternative practices like yoga and acupuncture and meditation and, and different programs, deep breathing, like Project Welcome Home Troops, Power Breath Workshop. So I'm trying to show people what we're doing and invite them into helping. Uh, because at the end of the day, if, if I'm doing these things and people are supporting me, then you'll watch all the politicians say, hey, I want in on that. Tim Ryan's got this army of you know, millions of people supporting him with these alternative approaches to politics right now. And I think if we do that, you're going to see the political winds start to shift. I love that you're doing all this work and, you know, and sharing that with more people in our world, I think is a, is, is something I'm, I'm really glad to be of service in that regard. I'll tell you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I mean, that's why, you know, and I've done, I've done a lot of podcasts like this over the years and there's a lot of opportunity for us. And there's a lot, like I said, there's millions of people out there, but we need them to be leaders. Uh, and it's my job to challenge them. And, and that's what I'm trying to do is say, hey, look, I'm doing this. You have a member of Congress. I've been here 17 years. I'm pushing legislation that you care about. You know, I need your help and support on, on this stuff. And if we can if we can start building a movement, I mean, like I said, I mean, how exciting would it be? If we have millions and millions of active political people who aren't Democrat, Republican, but they're behind the ideas that I'm talking about, I'm a Democrat, but they, you know, there's, these are down the middle. I mean, what do you want? How, you know, how do you want to argue on food? Is that a conservative or is that liberal? I mean, social and emotional learning now is being backed by the Brookings Institute and the American Enterprise Institute, <laughs> which is a big conservative uh, and big liberal groups. Yep. Yep. Let's go. You know, let's go. What are we waiting for? We're running out of time. No, a lot of these issues really do 
break, you know, they, they don't break down around partisan lines. They're across the board. And it really sort of forced you to rethink the whole idea of what our politics should be. When I was there in D.C. last, when I was, you know, doing this work, uh, I felt as I was getting in more deeply into this world of mindfulness and yoga and such, that the people that I was working with in the halls there in the Capitol building were not that, how should I put it, sympathetic, right? And they thought of me as a kind of a weirdo, right? And if I let them know just how fully weird I really was, I was sure I was going to get fired, okay? But since then, you know, things have shifted and you're seeing a lot more interest in this material, this kind of, this way of seeing the world. And some of the people that I knew back then will show up on my radar now. And occasionally a couple of them will go like, hey, you know, where should I go in Peru to try ayahuasca? And I'm like, wow, you know, 180 degree turn. That's beautiful. I'm not asking you how many people in, in Congress have done ayahuasca. That's a separate kind of conversation. But I am curious how many people you're finding now are open to these ideas more broadly and maybe don't talk about it so publicly in D.C. specifically and not just like in our crazy network. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Let me tell you, let me tell you what... Uh, we were able to pull off. And I just had a meeting on this yesterday. I got on the Appropriations Committee, and then I found my way onto the subcommittee that funds Congress. It's called the Legislative Branch Appropriations Committee. And it funds the Library of Congress and, con- and Congress itself and Botanical Gardens and, you know, Capitol Police and all of that. Last year, we designated about $400,000 to start a campus-wide well-being office. And we have we now have an executive director who I met with yesterday. We have a slew of programs. We're going to have six people trained in mindfulness-based stress reduction. They have contracted with the David Lynch Foundation to teach transcendental meditation they are going to do weekend retreats. They're going to do a bunch of nutrition, diet, and exercise programming using technology to help build this out. There'll be rooms in, the, in, in one of the buildings that will be a quiet space for people to do contemplative practices. And, and that will, it is now institutionalized in the House of Representatives. Awesome. And so- it's come a long way since you you were here and I started and it is only going to grow from here and it's going to be internal within the, within the uh within the house of representatives so it's come it's come a long long way so do you find other representatives are actually asking you about your practice yeah 
yeah, more and more people are doing it. And sometimes it's like, hey, my daughter teaches yoga. Hey, my wife does yoga and she read your book. Hey, my wife heard you on a podcast. Hey, my daughter wants to meet you because she's a yoga teacher in Florida. You know, that kind of stuff. So it's much more today than it was a few years ago. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I became friends with Dan Nevins. I don't know if you know Dan, but he is a double amputee veteran who is a, now a nationally acclaimed yoga teacher. And he is a very dear friend of mine. We've had him in D.C. The veteran, my point is the veterans coming back using these practices is really helping to break the stigma of what it means to practice yoga or do mindfulness or meditation because uh, it's healing them. And so people are obviously a lot less judgmental around the veterans and what they need to do to heal themselves. And so the vets are saying, look, this healed me. Why can't it heal, you know, an in, uh, a inner city kid who's, who has uh, five adverse childhood experiences or, you know, some, some kid in rural America that has, four or five adverse childhood experiences. If it helped me, it can certainly help them. And that's how we're growing this thing. That's powerful. Now you started out as a quarterback. A long time ago. A long time ago. (laughs) Yeah. How did you find your way from, I would think, a very different kind of cultural frame to actually allow yourself to sit still in a meditation practice? What was the thing that shifted you, that opened you up to it? I remember reading about Phil Jackson doing uh, coach, basketball coach for the Chicago Bulls um, when I was growing up uh, in their heyday with Michael Jordan. I remember hearing about him being into this stuff and teaching it to the players. And that left a really big impact on me. And so I got into Phil Jackson and I started reading his books. And one of his books had had a list of books that influenced him. And one of them was Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And so I went out and I got the books that influenced him and I read them. And that was that was really the beginning of a very, very long journey uh, that led to a priest teaching me centering prayer, which is a Christian based meditation that the Catholic monks used to do. And, uh, father Thomas Keating wrote a, wrote a bunch about this and that was it. I mean, then it was Deepak Chopra and Wayne Dyer. And then I went on a John Kabat-Zinn five day retreat, which was my first like extended retreat. I had done day and a half, two days, but I never did anything like five days blew, blew the top off my head. And that was it. I was just, I, I was hooked as far as wanting to push this out as a, as a tool for kids and vets and everything else. And then I just kept meeting all kinds of really cool people who were doing this. Uh, you know, it, I think it'd be, uh, uh, that's kind of how it started taking off. That's huge. And, and, and it's beautiful that you were able to dive in that way through the books and that you got to the point where you felt comfortable being public as a political figure doing something which so many people would have considered, you know, kind of on the fringe, right? Must have been a a process there for you on some level. You go like, well, am I going to do this? Do I want anybody to know I'm doing this? (laughs) Yeah. Well, when I wrote the book, I wrote a book called A Mindful Nation. I just re-released it as uh, Healing America, which I thought may be a little more appropriate now in today's world. But when I first decided to write it, you can imagine uh, having some experience on Capitol Hill. 
you could imagine uh, my staff's reaction when I was a 35-year-old congressman saying I wanted to write a book about meditation. Oh, my God. No, I'm sure. No, I mean, it's like, okay, end of your career, sir. <laughs> it's like God forsaken line. My chief of staff has been around for a long time. So he, he's been in Congress for a while working and he worked for John Glenn and oh, wow. he was in California. So he remembers when Jerry Brown was called governor moonbeam and all that stuff. So, you know, it was, it was, I said, well, no, I want to do it. You know, this is what I believe in. I'm passionate about it. I'm going to write it and I'm going to write it in a way that I want it to be digestible for somebody in Youngstown, Ohio, for them to not see it as woo-woo or something crazy, but something is helpful. And I, you know, tried to tell stories, you know, and, and I, like my grandparents who were Italian and Catholic and would pray the rosary all the time, like that was their thing. And and we've got to have some practice in our lives, especially today that keeps us connected to what's deepest and best within us and also connected to those around us. And I found that practice particularly helpful and then learned about transcendental meditation, which I knew about, but learned more about it and how many people it's helping and yoga and, and, and just kind of dove in, but maintain my interest in economic development and representing blue collar people in Youngstown, Ohio, and kind of never got disconnected from them either. And, and so just trying to like pull this whole thing together on how we move forward and in a balanced way. Yeah. I'm going to throw something out at you and you tell me if it resonates at all. Um, because if it may not, but just curious if it does, that one of the beautiful outcomes of these kinds of consciousness practices is that they can help you feel more comfortable with ambiguity, that you don't need to decide who's right and who's wrong or what's right and what's wrong immediately all the time, but that in <laughs> fact you can trust that things will basically be okay. You can let go of your attachment to a very firm outcome that if you don't get it, you're going to burn the house down. and then you're in a better place to sort of receive what's actually happening around you. You can be present so that you're able to respond to the moment in an appropriate way with an open heart. That's not Democrat or Republican. It's something right. new in our politics. In fact, it is unheard of in our politics. Well, yeah, our politics today are about disconnection and in narrowness and not being big hearted or wholehearted, but closing people off. That's why we're not solving the problems because look, I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a Democrat. I'm considered, you know, probably, you know, uh, progressive, but pr practical, you know, it's hard to, hard to find the label these days that fits, but, um, uh, the, the the reality of it is, take climate change, for example. You need the government to do some cool things and be really smart and a hell of a lot more efficient than it is now. So even if you think the government can do good things, you can't like ignore the fact that it's bloated and inefficient and wasteful at times. But you also need the free market. You know, if you're going to solve climate change, you, you've got to have the innovation and the magic that comes from the free enterprise system. 
But in D.C., you have to be in either one camp or the other. <laughs> it's either going to be rabid free market, you know, free markets with no regulation and tax cutting and running up deficits, or you're for the government only can solve this problem. And they and then they cut themselves off from a broader discussion about how we would really solve the problem and what what are, what are the real facts on the ground. Yeah. And the reality of it is it's both. And if we can use both and find the middle path, we could be very successful and transform the whole country and the whole world around the newest technologies around decarbonization. So I, the opportunities are clearly there because there are, there are things we can do to address climate change. And with the money and the focus that the government can bring, we could mitigate the disaster that's happening you know, in, to a considerable degree. And there's a lot of scientific understanding around that. So the question comes, can the government actually do it? That is to say, the government that we got today, which is now headed by Donald Trump, who is like, I mean, let me just put it this way. Among the people I know, the dysfunction of the Trump administration, it's corruption, and the the weird illegality that seems to surround so much of the way it operates, which is sort of endemic to the way Trump managed his businesses, it feels like it's not that everything in the government is 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 affected like just by it's not it's not just Trump. It's almost as if Trump is a perfect emblem for the things that are broken in our society more broadly that need to be seen and addressed and fixed. And I wonder whether even a good guy stepping into the White House with all the best intentions of the world in terms of the way you've been expressing them is going to be able to move the machinery in a way that can really make the big difference. You know what I'm saying? I'm down with what you're saying, brother. And I will tell you that a good guy, a good guy with millions of people at his back or millions of people behind her, whoever it may be, walking into the Oval Office, right. can transform the damn country. And that has been the history of the United States, whether it was Teddy Roosevelt or Franklin Roosevelt or you know the, the Great Society or going to the moon or whatever it was, it was because the people were being supportive of what was happening. And I think we're ready for for that shift. And that's my mission is to, is to get people engaged in that process. And, and, in this new agenda is, is ripe for the picking. And, and you, you just see what's happening now because of the disconnect. And, and I will tell you, I come from Youngstown, just outside of Youngstown, Ohio, I grew up in Niles, Ohio, which is the old steel belt, rust belt, uh, you know, on the, halfway between Cleveland, Ohio, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, right in the heart of it. Mm -hmm. And in the, yeah. 19, in the 1970s, when we lost the steel industry, the technology in the steel industry was World War I technology. Yeah. And because we put our head in the ground, and as a country, mm -hmm. we our clock cleaned, and we are still recovering 40 some years later 
And what we're seeing now is very similar when we see what, what China's doing with the solar panel market or the electric vehicle market. We're putting our head in the sand, we're divided, and if we figure out how to take these new technologies that are emerging in artificial intelligence, additive manufacturing, we grab them, we pull them in, we dominate them, we infuse our old industries with it, we increase our productivity and we cut the worker in on the deal, we are going to transform the country and we're going to transform the world because we have venture capital. We have trillions of dollars that private investment that can be invested to clean our communities, green our society, build up so that we have a, a robust military, not just to keep us safe, but to keep the peace around the world and do it in an efficient way. That's the future, man. And, and we, need a, we need a movement that will do that. Well, that's what it should be. That's what the future ought to be. Are you talking to some of the people who are now already declared for the Democratic uh, presidential nomination about these kinds of issues to see where they're at in terms of building a movement? The, the already in, no. Uh, I mean, I'm watching what they're doing. I, I don't. I don't think anybody that's announced so far has been talking about movement building. Because I wonder. You know, listen, you know, I mean, I, not that I know any of them, but the challenge at the moment is bigger than any of us, any one of us, right? And what you're saying makes so much sense to me, and I think to a lot of the people who are listening, and a lot of other people who should be listening. Um, and I can't imagine that as we start to go down this road towards the nomination, that some of the reasonable candidates might resonate with that. And that ultimately it's got, well, certainly, you know, Bernie kept, you know, talking about movement building. He says movement, movement, movement. There's an aspect of that that's real. That he's got, there's, a, there's something powerful that came out of his presidential campaign of 2016. And you can see AOC as a result of that in many ways and other things that are really strong, but they're not all seeing what you're talking about or they're not talking about it as much as one would like, right? Even if you get them in a private moment, they might get some of it. Some of it will get more than others, right? Right. That's the question, really. Do you model it, the movement building? How does one model that in our own behavior? Who are we talking to and how are we talking to them with that intention in mind, the collaborative understanding we're all in it together intention and that this has got to be a moment ultimately if the politics are not going to collapse if if the dc situation is not going to be totally untenable which it currently is you know and trump is an example i think almost like a almost like a, a an emblem of that then you know we're going to have to like you're saying restart the whole thing you have to recreate it re-energize it with a very different way of being, which is what the practices you talk about are all about. They train you for that. They train us for that, right? So I'm just putting it out there as a, you know, as a question, question to the universe, right? How are we going to jumpstart that movement? And when you got a lot of people already, you got 20 something, I don't know how many people have already declared they're going to run for president. It's going to be hard to, like, what's going on with that, right? You don't want to recreate on the Democratic side what happened on the Republican side in 2016. 
which is what the media is going to drive it to be unless something happens. Well, the media is going to the media is going to cover where the energy is, and that's why I think if if this this these people this group of mindful yogi foodie people recognize that they want to get involved and jump in before we pass the point of no return on climate, on inequality, on all of these issues, and they want to join with unions and people in labor and and public health people and uh, people who support and try to help people in poverty or immigrants. I mean, this is a huge community of people who are who are suffering in today's world. And, and, and that could be a very, very powerful movement that will be covered by the media. Just say a candidate gets in and all of a sudden gets millions of supporters and has a low dollar fueled campaign of five or 10 bucks from people in the wellness field, the tens of millions of people in the wellness field. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden this candidate has a million or two people sending her or him five bucks every couple of weeks. And all of a sudden it's 10 million, 20 million, 30 million for all of a sudden this person is competing with everyone else with soldiers on the ground, helping you organize your campaign in 50 States. Now the media will cover that and that'll just be throwing gasoline on it. So there's a lot of opportunity, I think, in these, uh, with this, if we can get people activated. I hear you. I hear you. So you, are you considering doing something like that yourself? I am. Yeah, I am thinking about it, giving it seriously, strong, serious consideration. I mean, you look around and people aren't doing it and I'm frustrated and I see what's happening here and I've been here 17 years and I know the place and I know how things work and I think I could probably make a difference. So I'll keep you posted. Please do. What would make you decide that this is the right thing to do? What's the catalyst for you? Can I make a difference? Can I make a difference? Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I and, and and make a real difference. I mean, I'm making a difference now, and and uh, I love my job and I love my work, and you know, taking it to this next level would be very hard, and and you know, a lot of strain on family and everything else. Um, but if if I feel like I can, you know, make a difference, and then you you've got to strongly consider it. And I feel like, you know, coming from Ohio, I'm younger than most of the Democrats that are out there, 45 years old, new. I think I definitely think we need a new generation of leaders in the party. Uh, And, you know, I'm talking about issues that have pretty broad appeal across ideologies. So I feel like we could pull the country together around food and social and emotional learning and really using technology to to jazz the economy up, cutting workers in on the deal. Um, so, you know, if I think I could may do it, win and make a big difference, and I think I have a responsibility to look closely at it. Uh, there's no question that, I mean, you're wonderfully articulate in the way you present this, this way of being in the political world. And it's inspirational to hear you talk about it. And there's no question that there's a lot of really talented and you know, well-connected people who are listening with their ear to the ground, waiting for that message to be delivered in a way where they think it could be widely heard. They'll jump on board. 
There's going to be energy around that. There's no question there's going to be energy around that. People are waiting for this. Is, the movement is growing, but it's been under the radar for a long time. And it hasn't yet presenced itself in the media, in the public mind. And it does need that, some kind of articulation that would catalyze that. I think you're very capable of doing that. It would be a wonderful thing to see. Very, very interested in seeing it. I got to say, like anybody in the Democratic Party is going to say at the moment, the biggest problem you got is you're a white guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, not, not a whole lot I can do about that. No, I know. I got the same problem. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, is what it is. But that's part of the conversation that has to be had, right? This is This is what's going on. So inevitably, yeah. that becomes part of the conversation, whether you like it or not. And no, it sure does. Yeah. And, and you know, look, a, a, a white person need a white male needs to you know convince women that he's concerned and 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 deeply uh, committed to the issues that face women and moms and and uh, the challenges that they face. And I think I could do that. You know, grew up with divorced parents where my mom had carried a lot of the burden there, married a woman who was a single mom for a while. And, and, uh, you know, you gotta be able to do that. And, and, and white people have to get black people and brown people and to vote for them. And black people have to get white people and brown people to vote for them. And brown people have to get black people and white people to vote for them. It's like, that's part of the process is you've got to represent everybody. And I will tell you, if I do pull the trigger, I won't be running to be the head of one particular tribe run to be president and represent all people, even those who don't vote for me. Well, I hope you do it. When you're ready to do it, I'd love to talk again. I really appreciate you taking the time today to chat with us with so much action on the Hill uh, in so many directions. And, um, you know, really, uh, really honor you and, uh, and wish you well. Yeah, let's stay in close touch. And thanks for helping get the word out. This is, and you are uh, one of these big influencers and energy nodes we need to, we need to tap into. So I appreciate you doing this. I want to thank Congressman Ryan for being with us on the show today. We recorded this when Michael Cohen was in Congress testifying to the crimes that he committed with the President of the United States. It was kind of a remarkable moment for all of us to uh, be witnessing. And I felt it was an interesting time to have this kind of conversation with a congressman who is really thinking about a very different way of doing business in Washington. And I want to express my appreciation for him taking the time that afternoon and speaking with us from his house office. I also want to thank you two for joining us. If you want to follow what the congressman is doing, you can go to Instagram and Twitter and follow him at Rep. Tim Ryan. I also want to thank our producer, Jose Alfaro, and the ACAST team. Our theme music is Measure by Measure by Paul D. Miller, a.k.a. DJ Spooky, from his album The Secret Song. And our interstitial music are tracks from The Human Experience, Sunu from the album Soul Visions with Rising Appalachia, and here for a moment on the album Gone, Gone, Beyond. Please check them out. That's all for now. We'll be back next week. Find the others.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.